Welcome to the Refugee Portal Podcast, recorded at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. My name is Tarek. And I'm Yusuf. The Refugee Portal Podcast interviews, shares, and learns from the stories of refugees, as well as the perspective of academics, humanitarian workers, members of government, and other stakeholders. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the interviewees and do not necessarily reflect those of the Refugee Portal Podcast or its hosts. All right, let's get right into it. Assalamu alaikum, Aisha. Uh, welcome to the uh, the interview podcast and webinar. Thank you for joining us and uh, and telling us your story and uh, and the history of Voices of Muslim Women, the vision and the mission. So please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you. Uh, well, alaikum assalam, first of all, and thank you for having me. I'm very uh, excited to be here, and I really appreciate this opportunity. I can introduce myself and then tell uh, the story of how Voices of Muslim Foundation, uh, Muslim Women Foundation came to be. So I'm born and raised in Surrey, BC, and I, I've lived here all my life. Um, I started uh, working at a university over 10 years ago. And for those of our listeners that are local, it's a uh, Kwantlen Polytechnic University. I was always interested in social justice um, and also women's empowerment. And I had volunteered and worked at a lot of different organizations in BC, um, but I had never really taken the initiative to look at it as a full-time career. And at the time I was working um, at the university as a recruiter and then an advisor. So uh, while I was doing this, I came across a master's degree program. Um, and like you, Yusuf, my undergraduate degree is from UBC as well. Um, it's in English. Uh, I, I grew up thinking that I wanted to become a high school teacher, um, but I became an educator in another sense. So I started working at the university and I noticed a lot of barriers to education for youth in BC and that Hence, that was my interest in the social uh, justice degree. So I, I did this master's of education. It was a really lengthy, but very interesting topic. It was justice, law and ethics in education and curriculum and instruction. And I mentioned the title because it's actually, it, it fits into the VMW story later on. So as I was uh, working at Kwantlen, I, I met a woman and through a conversation, I just let her know how, how passionate I was about community building. I really care about our community um, and different uh, par different parts of my identity. So I belong to the South Asian community. I belong to the BC community. I belong to the Fijian community. I belong to the Muslim community. And I felt very passionate about um, community development. And I had uh, focused a lot of my master's work in the media misrepresentation of Muslims. And so I told her I was very passionate about this and one conversation led to another. And I really wanna take a moment to pause to, sh to really share with others that if you're passionate about something, share it. Because those conversations lead to new ideas that often come full circle and offer an opportunity to do something about that passion that you have. And uh, so long story short is I started uh, teaching this course that she had available and it was a community course about uh, misrepresentation of youth in Surrey and I had uh, and social and the basics of social justice and I had a lot of Muslim students um, in my class because where the Surrey campus is located 
um, in Surrey, we have a very high percentage of uh, Somalian Muslim youth, Pakistani Muslim youth, um, and Syrian Muslim youth. And so I was meeting a lot of young students in this program who are sharing alarming rates of Islamophobia. And that shocked me because I was born and raised here and I was in high school when 9-11 happened. So it really shook me that why are the kids that are way younger than me experiencing Islamophobia at a higher rate than, than when I did? Like, why are we moving backwards? And it, it really did alarm me. But at that time, my mentality was, oh, someone should do something about it. The government should do something about it. The local Muslim organizations and Muslim leaders should do something about it. Maybe the school system should do something about it. Um, but I never wanted it to be me because to be completely honest, I really didn't wanna put myself out there. I, I felt like, oh, I, I have the life I want. Um, with like my family, my career. Um, and I really didn't wanna get mixed up in politics. I was really scared of it at the time. And uh, then lo and behold, a moment came not too long after that where I was sitting with my two children at that time. I only had two, but my eldest was five years old. Um, and we we're at McDonald's and they were just eating a fish fillets. And all of a sudden there's two groups of high school students sitting um, beside us and behind us and they were just trash talking Muslim girls and I looked at my daughter's face as it registered that she was Muslim she was a girl and this is what others in her neighborhood thought of her and I, I don't wear a hijab and there's there's no way you could really tell from looking at us that we're visibly Muslim um, so it was a really uh, shocking eye-opener, but I, I think your my mother <laughs> instincts and, and at that precise moment, um, I just decided, wow, you have to do something about it because you have a degree in curriculum and instruction. You studied media misrepresentation of Muslim Muslims. You studied um, internalized oppression and what happens to youth when they hear again and again that they're bad guys. So um, in that moment, I, all the fears I had about uh, what other people would say about me or like what other people would think, what community leaders would say, um, all the fears I had just left me. And I became so determined that I was, gonna, I was gonna do something and that would be my contribution to my community. And so, um, and I really believe uh, from a Muslim perspective, something I was taught in, uh, my pursuit of Islamic studies was that if you have the right intentions, Allah will open all the doors for you. And that's exactly what happened. So quickly, things that a month ago I had not thought of, within a couple months, I was running a program approved by my department, approved by the Dean of Arts at Kwantlen, uh, to create a safe, to create a safe space, a program that gave them a KPU a university certificate um, that for a program called Voices of Muslim Women. And this is where Muslim women would share their stories. And that's the origin story of Voices of Muslim Women. So um, I, I will say, fantastic. Like, you know, that maxim, be the change that you want to see. And, uh, you know, I, I, I agree with you. Sometimes you look at the, the bigger challenges, the, the misrepresentation of Muslims in the media, all of us feel it whenever we see negative, uh, uh, stuff in the media about Muslims and the, the actions of a few um, 
uh, radicals or extremists, and we're two billion Muslims in the world, and and it, it is uh, obviously a gross uh, kind of uh, at least uh, the word uh, unfairness or injustice to our community that somehow uh, there's a perception that the the uh, radicals uh, have it for for all of us, and and so with what you're doing and the great work you're doing is to to take this mission on head on as a professional to 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 really uh, go in a systematic organized way to address the common uh stereotypes and the common mis misperception and the common kind of uh, negativity that people have about us as muslims and the islamic belief yeah, yeah exactly um and it's it was just really remarkable how it came together um, because I, I really feel like there's times when you try to do something and it just seems like you have wall after wall after wall. And also when you have really good intentions and your heart is clean, and, and this is also something based in like the Islamic philosophy that, that I learned is you, if you have a, a clean heart and you have good intentions like everything you do starts with intention that's the first hadith i i, I learned at uh, the islamic boarding school i attended and it has helped me in every avenue of my life um for sure so it and and it did like within a couple months how we got this program up and running how the word spread um through the network of muslim women that i had about this program and all of a sudden in one room we had women from ages like I think, believe 13 all the way till 60 from different sects of Islam, uh, different ethnicities, and we were all talking to each other. And that was a beautiful experience in itself. And to add on to that, that I was able to teach digital storytelling, um, as well as the basics of social justice and have these really rich conversations and be able to provide um, a film screening of their digital voices. Uh, and also offer that certificate was was huge and our very first uh film festival i had coincidentally at that time been nominated for an award um in toronto it was like a muslim excellence type of uh award and i i didn't win or anything but it just got me thinking that why don't we have anything like that in Western Canada? Like, why don't we have anything like that in BC? So I took the film festival as a great opportunity to try it out. And a lot of things, I just try. Um, and anyone I've ever talked to is the same thing. You just have to try. <laughs> There's a lot of things that do fail, uh, but after nine failures, you eventually hit that 10th win. <laughs> and, and that's a success story. But usually people don't remember all the many, many failures you have. But in any case, we started with five awards um, and uh, we had women be nominated through our website and uh, we were able to have our first film festival as well as um, give out five um, awards to Muslim women in BC. And that quickly, that event had over a hundred people and that was way more people that we expected to show up for a very small community program but it also introduced me to a larger network of professional Muslim women who were very invested in leadership and community building and just we didn't know each other. So we uh, basically created Voices of Muslim Women Foundation, that course we took in and we made it a nonprofit organization um, and did all the paperwork. We had our largest gala, we had 10 awards and uh, we also had uh, 
showcase arts and culture from different parts of our community. And it was a great networking event. So one thing I will say, I attended a gala with my daughter. My daughter at the time was 10 years old. And I believe it was at the Bell Center. And wow, what, what a professionally run. It was a beautiful space. The production of the, the program was, was excellent. And I will say I was very impressed with the, uh, the, the professional pedigree of each of the, the, the individuals that were being celebrated from our Muslim community, our Muslim sisters. And I, I was just, um, I, I was proud that we have so much talent in our community. And I was grateful that you were taking the lead to, to showcase and highlight and celebrate the accomplishments of our community members, particularly our Muslim sisters were, you know, in the, in the media onslaught uh, uh, against kind of Islam and Muslims. We, we, it drowns out the fact that Muslims are very uh, valuable members of society in every facet from, from medicine to law, to, to government, to education like yourself. And these voices, uh, like you're saying, it's a very aptly titled Voices of Muslim Women to really share the voices and share the stories which are powerful. And this is which can hopefully uh, change public perception by, by powerful stories like yourself and, and the people that you brought together to represent uh, the voices of Muslim women. So if you wouldn't mind talking about these the galas and the impact of the galas, because I would say my daughter was very impressed and she, she came away uh, with, with a number of role models that she could uh, look up to. Well, I, I'm so happy to hear that, first of all. Thank you for sharing that. And it's really about connecting the dots because like you said, we, we have so many amazing, remarkable Muslim women who are achieving excellence in every field from community building to um, medicine, uh, to arts and culture. We have uh, a couple of the women that I wanna highlight. It, it's, I can't highlight them all, but honestly, when I meet them and I read their stories, I just start fangirling. Like uh, Dr. Amira Murabit is one of the top plastic surgeons in BC. Um, Aliza Villani is a, such a well-known uh, actress at acting at the highest uh, caliber in entertainment. Uh, we have you know, so many women in the social ju justice and education industry. Um, there's Nassim Elbardu, who, um, sorry, I to totally said her last name wrong, but there's a woman who rewrote the um, uh, documents for Islamophobia and had awareness about it in BC uh, for this BC school district. Like there's so many things that women are doing behind the scenes and it's just about creating this, these opportunities to recognize them. And, you know, uh, we connected, I think, uh, I think it was three years ago, not long after the Quebec City mosque mm -hmm. shootings. And, uh, and uh, we, we did, with Islam Unraveled we, and the West 8th Al Jamia uh, Masjid, we, we did an outreach to the other faith-based communities. Uh, part of the, the rationale or the reasoning was uh, um, after the Quebec City uh, uh, mosque shootings, the average Canadian, I would say, many hundreds and thousands of our neighbors of our uh, greater Canadian community came to visit our, our mosques. They came with flowers, they came with candles, they came with cards, with tears in their eyes, 
um, not only to the Al Jamia Masjid in Vancouver, but other masjids throughout the Lower Mainland. And it culminated in a large memorial downtown in, in a blizzard uh, at, uh, at the Jackpool Plaza where thousands of people, and I would say 95% were, were, were non-Muslim, that again came just to show their solidarity with the Muslim community and, and their, their, their uh, love for their neighbors and their concern for their neighbors. And so it, it, it motivated us um, uh, to, to basically also reach out to those that wouldn't necessarily come out from other faith-based faith -based communities. We did an interview with uh, Rabbi uh, Adam Stein, who you met when we did our uh, uh, outreach to Congregation Beth Israel, the synagogue on uh, Oak Street. And, uh, and he came himself before we even met uh, to the, the West 8th Al Jamia Masjid for that uh, memorial there after the Quebec shooting. So it shows, you know, that the people came to us and then let's discuss how we we did our outreach um, at that synagogue and that kind of panel and the community. We were able to have an open discussion with the Jewish community from that synagogue about um, who we are. And I think I will say I'm not that articulate a speaker. I think the big takeaways was yourself and Sister Karina. I think uh, that they, they appreciated your stories and and I think they were very engaged with the, with uh, with what you had to share. So if you could share your perception of that gathering and maybe give the listeners a, a bit of a context around it and what your thoughts were going in and while we were doing our outreach. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yes, I, I do remember the event uh, very well. And uh, yes, it was myself and Sister Karina who is also an amazing. Uh, Muslim woman. She has three kids. She runs a business and is is doing great work and needs to be recognized. There, there's so many Muslim women in BC who are who are doing this great work. Um, so it's nice to take the opportunity to share our stories so others are aware of it. Um, and when going into that event, I really wasn't sure what to expect. Um, but I have been part of other interfaith. Um, event and I and I know from a very human perspective that there is so much love in this world I really truly believe that and it was uh it was great to share our stories because that's how we learn storytelling is one of the most important educational tools and I don't think it's a coincidence that our holy books are filled with with these stories because that's how we learn, that's how we remember, and that's how we retain um, the, the key points from these stories, right? So when I was sharing my story, um, I, I think some people were surprised that I was uh, born and raised uh, in Surrey, that I was born into a Muslim family, but I myself was very confused and had questioned my own faith so much. And then I had taken the initiative to go and learn about Islam. And I went to a girls Islamic college in England for two years. And I was very, very interested to learn more because I'm a, I've always been a critical thinker since I was a, a kid, which, you know, I was a really nerdy kid. I still am. But, um, you know, I, I went in with a very open mind uh, to learn about uh, Islam and what it is. And I was prepared to be like, if this doesn't fit my, my, social justice com compass, like my human values of justice and equality, um, inclusion, um, then maybe this is not something I want to be a part of. But everything I learned was just re-backed up um, how much I believed in Islam and um, 
how much the Islamic teaching teachings that I learned um, are right along um, with uh, my social justice values and my, my core human values. So it was really nice to be able to share that experience and how it came back. I've studied Islam in university from a secular point of view. Um, I've been to madrasas, darulums, like I've, I'm really interested in Islam and it's always come back um, to teach me the most valuable things in life. Um, so when when I shared my, my story, I think a lot of people, um, were were surprised that this was my story um but and it also kind of i think uh related to a lot of people because what we forget um sometimes the media pushes our differences our surface value differences so much on us um when we hear each other's stories we realize yeah we go through a lot of the same things and we do feel a lot of the same things and we have the same experiences and we have a lot in common just as human beings Agreed. And, and I will say that um, uh, even today, after I think it's been three years since we, we did it, that that was a memorable event from their community, because, uh, you know, the, the, those of us that went, uh, you know, it, it, it showed uh, kind of like this, this community coming together that, uh, you know, for people in, in the general public may think that, oh, these things never happen. And I'd like to call it an interfaith exchange, whereas when we went, and, and we had our discussion, the Q&A, and uh, yourself telling your story, uh, Sister Karina telling her story, they also came to um, our, our mosque, Al Jamia Mosque in Vancouver. And so we had 16 visitors from the Jewish community that, that joined our Juma prayer. And uh, so they were there in, 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 in the back observing uh, the Juma prayer. And so it kind of fostered a sense of mutual understanding that they came, not only did we come to, to their synagogue um, as friends and neighbors, they came as friends and neighbors to, to our masjid and, and the welcoming from both sides, breaking bread and, and building friendships and relationships that, that really, I would say, created a lasting impression uh, on not only our community, but their community that, that hey, we are human beings, whatever uh, kind of ideological or the way the media or even social media algorithms try to silo certain types of information and biases to, to various communities, the best way to break down walls of, of ignorance is engagement, breaking bread, sitting with one another, talking, telling stories, like you said, telling the stories, our stories, their stories, and 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 that's where we can connect on a human level. And I, I think that's where real change takes place. Now, you'd mentioned something earlier as as you're you're a professor, and uh, we did we in we do a little preparation for these podcasts, by the way. So so we, we read that you had a hundred percent rating. On uh, as a professor from your students and 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 uh, kudos to you for that. That that's great that your your students. Uh, you know, again, what are what do students look for? Passion, energy, enthusiasm, and and obviously the quality content. And you'd mentioned you had a lot of Muslim students, and mm -hmm. so again, you said something powerful earlier. How is Islamophobia more now than it was uh, twenty years ago after September 11th? And, and then Islamophobia, uh, where, again, um, you know, terms I, I've heard uh, myself personally and to others like a terrorist or, 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 you know, certain derogatory things that, that Muslims hear. And, and when you're a young person, as an adult, I'm an adult, right? I can be like, okay, that was a racist, you know, in a, in a car uh, driving by or whatever. 
but uh, but for a Muslim student that's just growing up as a teenager, a young adult, as you know, we are impressionable at that age, and no one likes to be singled out or discriminated against or put upon or or derided or disrespected, and so. I'm sure you're aware of the certain kind of bullying and the certain kind of racial stereotypes and, and, and slurs that, that people use against the Muslim community. If you could share anecdotally from a student's perspective, what, what have you heard from your students? Sure. And, and you're absolutely right. It's, you know, it's a lot of times it's not huge acts of racism. It's little microaggressions over time, right? You know, you brush it off, but when you hear things like that every day, he'd go to play basketball um, at school or, uh, and uh, people would, uh, and some some kid would uh, throw the ball and then uh, when it was his turn, be like, Allahu Akbar, he's gonna blow it up. Like, you know, and to some people that like, it, it could be like a small remark, oh, it's just a joke. But as a young adult um, or a teenager, as if you hear these things on a continual basis, it starts to form your own narrative around you. Who are you, right? If, um, and, you know, it's really interesting to know um, that, you know, Islam in BC was very different before 9-11. Like, I remember what it was like to go to elementary school um, and high school even before 9-11 and it was just that you were different you were kind of just like every other minority in BC but and it was it was a negative but it wasn't as um extreme as after 9-11 all of a sudden the narrative about your identity was hijacked and all of a sudden anyone belonging to a Muslim culture having a Muslim name having um, having an Islamic faith now all of a sudden there was a double negative and you are now responsible you this teenage kid who has nothing to do with anything is responsible for every bad thing that happens on tv it starts to weigh down on you and that affects our youth in a lot of ways and two of the ways is a lot of um youth begin to disassociate themselves with Islam because what they see on the media is not part of their beliefs, of course, it's not aligned with their values. So they are confused. And, you know, every, everyone comes from different homes. Um, there are some homes who where, where Islamic um, teachings and upbringing um, are, are part of their life. And there, there are some Muslim students or students who, who don't have that. They, their parents, um, they have more of like a Muslim culture. But in any case, when you have all these voices telling you that you're part of the bad guys, you start to believe inside. And that's the term, the, um, the term for that is called internalized oppression. And it's when small things happen on a daily basis that start to alter your own perception of who you are then you start apologizing for who you are you didn't do anything right but then you seem you feel like you have a responsibility to accept other people's uh belittling or you know you can understand it because you know this and that and you start to justify why it's okay that people belittle you it's okay that people are being racist they're just little small racist remarks and it it, it tears down very slowly your own um, identity of yourself, your narrative and identity of yourself as a Muslim youth. And, and as, as you said, this, this kind of, uh, like all of us, all of us intrinsically, I think most people believe they're good people. And, uh, and when the media is saying something negative about Muslims, uh, even systemic racism, maybe even some professors, uh, what I've heard is some uh, teachers uh, 
or, or professors uh, may have some sort of bias, conscious or unconscious bias, and it comes out in their comments about Muslims and Islam. Mm -hmm. So when all of this is happening, and for a young person, again, uh, growing up in, in North America, going to public schools, this kind of peer pressure and this kind of, uh, I don't want to be criticized, so some Muslims may even change their names uh, so people don't necessarily know they're Muslims. They may not necessarily outwardly appear to be a Muslim. And so as a result, they're just trying to hide from the, the general public that this is my identity, this is who I am, to avoid any any type of racial or or or, or religious discrimination. And and so I know, you know, for those of us that didn't have necessarily an Islamic upbringing and, and we just want to go along to get along and just uh, don't necessarily want to be uh, uh, put upon or, or criticized for our faith. And like you said, Muslims have like the average Muslim growing up in Canada has nothing to do with any of these world events, yet we somehow have to bear the burden of responsibility of the actions of, of a tiny radicalized few that, that shape a narrative that, that somehow we have to take responsibility for, which again is social injustice. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. So, so what would you think, like what you're doing and the great work you're doing for solutions and, and just to empower and, and create a confident, strong identity within our youth, what would you recommend as strategies or solutions or how have you helped with, with your students and those that you've come across that, that are dealing with this dilemma on a daily basis? Definitely. So I'll answer that in two parts because it's been a whole, um, it's been many years of trial and error and, and, and a lot of failure, to be honest, to kind of understand how can I do my part without also um, burning out? Because that's happened many times before where, um, sometimes, you know, you go the extra mile too many times and then you don't have enough energy left for yourself or your own family. And that's not um, sustainable either. So a couple of things that I can share is you can't solve everything, but you can start somewhere. And I think a lot of us become so overwhelmed that the problem of say Islamophobia or um, leadership or whatever issue they're trying to solve is so big that they're just not going to bother because how would you do that? So my suggestion is to just start very small and start very specific. I was just going to teach this one course on my contribution and it just worked out that large, but from, I was thinking we'll help like 30 students. Now we have galas with over 300 people and we have programs. We have a mentorship program, a scholarship program, all of these things. But so one thing is you have to start really small. Two is you have to talk, um, talk to your youth. And I think this is an intergenerational issue that is not just among the Muslim community, but all communities is we have a large intergenerational gap. Um, our gap, the languages our grandparents speak are often um, Urdu, Arabic or, or whatnot and English, but our, uh, the, the language of our youths is DMs and Instagram and IG and, and, and Zoom and, and Facebook. Like it's completely, and Twitter and TikTok now. So how, how do we speak to each other and how can we know each other without speaking to each other? So I think with parents, grandparents and kids, if you want to heal this intergenerational gap, you have to give a little. And so that may mean that you have to take 
the time out as a young person to call your, your, your grandparent or your parent and try to speak to them about what they want to talk about. Um, and it might not be something you want to talk about or re irrelevant to your life. But if you want to have a connection, you have to make that effort and vice versa. So if you're a grandperson and, and grandparent, sorry, and or a parent and your child's on TikTok, I, I believe you have a responsibility to be to ask them, hey, what is this? Can you can you tell me more about it? Who's your favorite? Like, what do you follow on Instagram? Show me something. And often just like across cultures and different religions across ages, we find things fun, the same things funny. We can find some commonality, but you have to put that effort in there to, to build those relationships that builds trust and trust when you are able to trust one another. And this is something that happens in my class. The first class is, is a group of strangers. The last class is a group of friends and community members. And that takes time and effort slowly, like over each class, every week we meet and Often I have pizza or food involved because that brings people together too. But you you break away the barriers in people's hearts and, and that's only through trust. And then the last thing it'd be, is you have to be very specific. Um, when I started Voices of Muslim Women, it was about digital storytelling. And then it quickly gained a lot of momentum more than I was prepared to handle having two young kids at the time. Um, and we were doing everything from open mic night to with um, men and women uh, to uh, yoga retreats, like you name it. We were doing kind of anything and everything for young Muslim people in BC. And uh, that did not work out in the sense that from a business point of view to run a nonprofit that offered all these, you have to have the logistical operations set up. So we had to quickly, very quickly re-strategize on how we're going to do this and that we're only going to be focusing on Muslim women who are um, focused on their careers or aspiring students and aspiring professionals and professional women. And so now my help, before my help looked like trying to run a program for every Muslim youth. Now my help looks like um, I'm writing reference letters for young Muslim girls who are getting into universities or applying for these fellowships or scholarships. Um, so it's become very strategic and, and very narrow, but through trial and error. And so now I've kind of found a way, like this is how I can give back without burning out. Um, and it's a nice ba balance for me as a, as a Muslim woman leader who also has three children now and, and a family. And, and you are a professional as a, as a, as a professor. So you have your career, you have your, 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 your marital life, you have your being a mother. So it, it is a lot. And, and I will say, because uh, even myself, I, I do face those challenges as well. The balance between our, our business and our family and, and being a father or for myself being a father and, and also doing our community work, which we feel is, 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 uh, we, we need to do because, uh, you know, we care about our community and we want uh, uh, our community to be protected from, uh, you know, these, these, these world, world issues that, that affect us in so many ways. And, and I will say that it's great advice uh, from your perspective because you have to make it sustainable over the long term because all of us, like the scope creep, when we, we try and think we, there's so many problems to solve, but at the end of the day, it requires uh, more team. It requires more funding. And we have to know where the lines are to, to do our community work and also 
balance all the other obligations and it is challenging at times but again just like this conversation now we are a team and we're trying to showcase our our leaders and our great work in our community because uh, by and large our community does not know uh, a lot of the good work we're doing so i'm sure there's a lot of community members that that don't know the respective good works that that let's say voices of muslim women is doing or or all the other muslim organizations and and we have to tell these stories and people get to know your story to to be able to appreciate uh you know all the work and effort and, and team building that goes into developing this and it takes a lot of patience and perseverance because as you know, with this work, um, I think Jeff Bezos had a line, if, once you're starting something, be ready to be misunderstood. Be ready, be ready that uh, people are going to disagree with you and, and criticize you uh, for whatever reason, because, you know, it happens. And, and uh, I, I know you've dealt with multiple challenges. So please share how you would self-care, self-manage, uh, because a lot of uh, business and life is managing emotions and emotional states. And, uh, and when it becomes overwhelming, and a lot of our overwhelming issues are with people uh, and, and dealing with personal challenges and maybe misunderstandings, how do you manage that? Sure. I, I really appreciate this question because um, it, it is the biggest challenge. Um, if you do not have um, good health, um, and that includes physical health and mental health and spiritual health. If you are not able to take care of yourself, you cannot help anyone else. And I had to uh, burn out a couple times uh, to really, and then it took months to recover. Um, I had some health challenges uh, that were really brought on by stress or aggravated by stress because I was trying to help everyone and do everything. And I really took it to heart when someone would complain about BMW is not doing enough or something not fast enough or, um, and because I really truly wanted to help everyone. And uh, there were so many times where it was logistically not possible, despite all of these women, um, aside from me, who are giving up their time, my executive uh, team members, the VMW board, as well as for each gala, we have um, so many women who contribute their time to this. Like, for example, the decor that you were talking about in the first gala, that was all um, Afaria Janif from Pink, uh, Pink uh, Affair, uh, Pink Clove Affair. And then this, last year's extravagant gala at uh, Arya was Hajar Khalifa and, and her business. It, it's just all of these women uh, coming together to do all this. And sometimes uh, we have these amazing events and we do so much. And then you receive a comment that's like, oh, but why don't you do this? Or you, you should have done this. It was okay. I would talk to my husband about it for sure. I think when, when you do have so many children. <laughs> like once, once I had three kids, I, I really didn't have time to have that network. And it really took a lot of pushing for him to be like, uh, you need to uh, also talk to other executive women about your struggles. So, and, and also I, I do have some women in my circle who also have multiple children <laughs> and have a career and are giving back to the community. So I reached out to them. Um, and I think you should never be afraid to reach out to someone. And if you, and, and I did. And for example, uh, my cousin Shana is the CEO of Suva Beauty. It's a, um, a giant uh, cosmetics brand. And so she told me about this, um, what's it called? Uh, it's called, it's an organization called FWE, Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. And she said they have a mentorship program with executive women. 
you really need to check that out. She's a part of a couple different um, amazing uh, women entrepreneur organizations. And I did, and I met my coach, um, Deb, through their mentorship program. And it was like a lifeline. Like I would, before the meeting, I was crying, talking to my husband, like, I can't do anything. I'm just a failure. I'm sure every woman like thinks this, <laughs> everyone thinks this at some point, like nothing is working out. And I was just like, God, please help me. And I got ready, went for this meeting thinking, oh, this woman is not going to understand my, my issues, right? We have nothing in common um, or whatnot. I was kind of, I was really skeptical. And I met her and <laughs> an hour later, I was, I walked out of that Starbucks meeting like, alhamdulillah, like I couldn't believe it. Everything I had complained and cried about, like before that meeting she had solved all of those she addressed it and i just i was looking around like is there angels is this a miracle or, or what's going on i've had that happen to me so many times i remember talking to karina about i have three kids now and it's getting hard i don't know what to do and she had suggested getting a nanny and then i got a nanny and i was so scared to do this for years i thought about it i was like oh i should get a nanny um and i was like no who am I to have a like, no, I can't do that. Like people like me, we don't do that. Like I, I just thought I'll just, I'll work harder and I'll do it all just like my mom and just like my aunt. And I would just burn out. And then I tried having a nanny and it worked, it worked. And so it's just, um, well, I mean, now we ended up moving to Mill Bay and on Vancouver Island and through COVID, we had a lot of changes. Um, and so one of those was we no longer have um, our nanny with us. I'm looking after the kids at home while working um, online but it's trial and error you have to try these things to solve your problems you can't just dote on it and the other thing would be prayer and meditation uh, I try to meditate every morning and uh, I try to uh, pray and be grateful be grateful for every day for your hands for your eyes for your for for every simple thing your children their health your health and those are my like biggest advices and lessons on like how do you take care of yourself so you can do all of this with with gratitude like your self-care to be grateful for for who you are what you have uh all the blessings that we have and we have many uh being blessed to be uh living in canada to be blessed with uh with clean water and clean air and and and, and security and a fair and just for the most part government that i think uh you know, those of us that have traveled uh, to many countries around the world, I think we are living in one of the best countries, the fairness, the equality, the, the, the justice mm -hmm. for the most part, uh, Canada's doing, uh, everyone can do better, but from my perspective, because I have other perspective from mm -hmm. other countries, I see Canada really trying hard from multiple perspectives to really help uh, this integration of, of a celebration of everyone's culture, religion, um, and bringing everyone together, not necessarily losing themselves, but appreciating, appreciating uh, each other's individuality and faith and race, that we can all be who we are and still be Canadian at the same time. So, so I do appreciate that about our country. And with yourself, like, um, again, being a Muslim leader and being a, a sister, uh, kind of leading the charge in, in your own way, uh, or um, uh, uh, equal access to opportunities for for Muslim sisters. Please talk about, like you know, with this network of sisters that that have been put together to kind of uh, you know help again, like as you said, with scholarships and 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 to really uh, position our next generation in the best way possible. Because systemic change happens when we are part of 
every facet of society from uh government to law enforcement to uh to uh all all facets of the private sector so please share a bit of that strategy and that focus sure so um i i believe it begins with uh first of all, choosing a field. Um, and sometimes it's, it's really difficult uh, for, for young women to choose a specific field if they're, if they're very young or in university um, and they're trying different things. And my advice is you just have to try things. You, in most cases, in my experience, that not know anything more. And a lot of times you go through a door and you find out um, another career path from, from that, uh, that you just wouldn't have known if you didn't take the first step into this other career um, in any case, right? And then also it's about connecting and supporting each other to be the best professionals we can. So for VMW scholarship program, and this is specifically designed um, to support Muslim women in BC. Um, and, and also now our new scholarship program, we've opened it up uh, globally as well anyone can apply, but it's just starting small and building on it. Like I said, our, our first gala was five awards and then we had, um, I believe nine the next year and then 10 this year. Our events went from like a hundred to 200 to over 300. Like it just, it grows and grows and grows, um, but it's very small and to empower other people, I find the best way is first empower yourself and you lead and the people who like what you're doing, they will eventually ask you, hey, can can you help me do this? And um, I used to say, yeah, for sure. Like um, you just thought of this idea today. Sure, let me invest like two hours of my time helping you create a plan and then um, we'll go from there. What I learned is you often have to kind of give some more um, constructive instructions like sure if you want to become an uh, interior designer so uh, here are a couple schools uh, BCIT has a program uh, Kwantlen Polytechnic University has a program there's one on the island at um, Vancouver Island University why don't you look into these programs um, I also know two Muslim women who are a interior um, designer uh, would you like to maybe do that research first and then I'll, I'll get you to um, I'll ask them if they're they're free to have a chat with you and then you can go from there and if you're still interested after like three weeks of doing this research then we can meet for coffee and I can help you structure a plan together so I, I think that's one of the best ways is to connect um, students or, or young people who want to go into a career with women who are already doing that and then to connect the women who are already doing it with other women who are um, at a professional or executive level and help support each other. Often at now at this stage in my life um, the, the things I value the most is being able to call another um, professional sister uh, who's in the same boat as me has kids is working you know you have your laptop here a laundry here kids crying there and it's always chaotic it's never like how it looks like in the movies um, and just being like hey you're probably busy but do you have time to talk later today and generally they say no I got 20 minutes right now half an hour and we talk for that half an hour and I just vent to them and that is and just hearing other women saying yeah I'm going through the same thing it feels so good to know that it's not just you. And then you help give each other tips because when you're in that moment, um, it's hard to it's hard to see past that. How do you get past that? But when you have friends in a support network that you trust and they can be like, hey, why don't you try this? Or like one way could be this if you tried this. 
and uh, you do it and it often works. So I think in terms of um, building a network within Muslim women in BC and how we're going to empower each other, uh, that's really the strategy to just kind of carry on doing what we're doing, meeting more and more women and being able to connect women to each other. So um, whoever we kind of click with, we can become friends with them. And I mean, friends at, in your 30s and 40s are very different than what friends means when you're in high school, right? Um, you're not going to have time to talk and hang out every day, but it does provide you with a network of people that care. And it's important as a human being to, to feel like someone's got your back. Agreed. And you, you said something powerful about uh, an advisor. Uh, your advisors uh, played influential roles in, in your life and and being a mentor now you're you're at a stage where you can be an advisor or a mentor or the network of sisters that are professionals to really uh, guide our next generation of uh, teenagers and uh, young adults that that want to make their decisions in their careers mm -hmm. and they just need some uh, some uh, advice objective advice and and unbiased advice and helpful and friendly and uh, and caring and concerned advice uh, and 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 I think that's really when you're a young person you're always looking for um, you know what direction do I want to go in and 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 if I choose a direction I just need some moral support just somebody to say that hey uh, can I bounce some ideas off of you and that I, am I on the right track and and so just like you had that for yourself in the in your career um, how we can provide that for our our sisters in our community um, and please talk about how you've done that or at least in the degree that you've been able to achieve that um. Yeah, and if I can share a quick story, because I, I think it's really important to show how this goes full circle. Um, but when I was in university at UBC, I took an Arabic uh, language course with uh, Simi Ghazi. She's instructor at U UBC, and I ended up taking a couple courses with her because I loved her. And when I saw, like, for the first time, a South Asian Muslim woman teaching with such passion and intellect, I just saw myself. She was I was just like starstruck and I was like, what? I can also be a professor. And I don't think I ever told her that until years later um, when I did this uh, digital storytelling program, um, I had reached out to her to share it and she ended up taking it herself. And I remember telling her, oh my God, my, my old Arabic prof that like I look up to so much, she's like taking it, I'm, I'm so nervous and like, and years later, I told her, like, you know, you made all the difference in my life because that was without even speaking to you about it, you had um, unintentionally or um, unconsciously given me permission to be my biggest self because I saw you live big and lead now. And that's our that's our tagline, live big and lead now, because that's how we give back. And then now I mentor um, uh, young women and one of my um, students just messaged me to say she got into UBC and she's studying social justice and women's empowerment. And like, she wrote me this, this the, basically the same exact message that I had sent to see me. And I was just like, wow, like the world works in wonderful ways. And it really restores your faith in um, doing the hard work to do the right thing. And how, whenever you give something, you always get a hundred times back. And, and and this this uh, uh, mission live big and lead right it, that 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 is it live big and lead 
and and in terms of our community because sometimes growing up uh, people don't the paradigm generally we see our parents and maybe our extended family and our, our kind of social network but then what, what i did see at the gala that i went to the amazing diversity of, of professions and that diversity so so like you said that teacher when you or that professor when you were in that class it changed your paradigm of what was possible of if she can do it there's as a muslim woman and be as engaged and as powerful and as 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 articulate i can do the same and and that paradigm shift and i think that's what voices of muslim women i i think can change that paradigm shift for a lot of sisters uh young young adults and and and, and teenagers and young girls to see wow these are my muslim sisters that have similar upbringings and they've been able to become professors they've been able to become doctors plastic surgeons uh, academics and and other types of things so it, it gives that uh, that uh, that confidence that that there is a possibility i can do this and I, I will share with you a story that we just heard yesterday so we we uh, met a muslim sister uh via uh, an introduction um because we wanted to talk about muslim uh women in the police force in the rcmp and so we were introduced to constable zahira baji and uh, so she had the same kind of thing she was a, a teacher uh a social like community volunteer and she saw a gap between law enforcement and our community and uh, and just like you she she wanted to be the change that she wanted to see so she decided as a woman who's five foot one, 90 pounds to become an RCMP, and some of the gear and the training are designed for people that are six feet tall, she passed. She was, you know, again, a Muslim sister, uh, you know, and, and she, she would tell everybody, you know, these are my religious requirements and complete support all the way through from, you know, when you say what you need, this is my faith, this is what I need to do. And, and that was her mission. She said, again, what you said earlier, my intention, her intention, her intention was she wanted to serve our community. She felt that there was a gap uh, as, a, as a Muslim sister to be in law enforcement. So she, she became that change and, and she un endured a lot of difficulty, physical and uh, a lot of difficulty to, to go through the training that, that is very difficult to, to now. She is an RCMP officer in Burnaby and, uh, and she says, you know, walking down uh, the street and, you know, people know that she's a Muslim sister and she's an RCMP officer. She, 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 I think she is very fulfilling for her and, and was really happy to hear her story. And, and, and these stories need to be told because that's what's going to change and improve the perception because, you know, a lot of people talk about problems and I'm sure uh, all of us hear problems, 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 criticism, 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 and the same people that are criticizing the, the next question is, okay, what is your solution? Let's be the change. Let's, let's do what we can do. And, and I think that is the most productive use of our time because criticism is one thing and sometimes criticism is needed, but more important is like, okay, let's, let's get down to work. Let's, let's, let's figure out a way where we can solve the problems of, of, of the situations we're seeing. And, and just like you saw a gap and you came uh, with your intention, with this sincere intention, I'm here for the sake of Allah. I want the benefit for my Muslim community, for, for the Muslim sisters, and, and mashallah, from this idea, this intention, teams were developed, uh, events were made, lives were changed uh, because of a, a clear, uh, sincere 
intention for the sake of Allah, and, and it's powerful where it can take us. And and again, uh, there's strength in numbers and teamwork. And and I'm sure with your initial vision, it's gone far beyond what you thought it was in that beginning of that intention. Yes, definitely. I 100% agree with everything you said there. And And now going forward, because it's like, you know, there needs to be more uh, sisters like yourself taking these leadership roles and, and social justice, as you know, uh, it is so crucial in this time and age, especially where, where, as you said, racism is becoming more intense and, and their people are becoming more polarized and siloed to their communities and their prejudices and, and biases are being reinforced by content that speaks to them online, that, that the algorithms just keep searching or, or, or serving up to, to, to reinforce somebody's bias. And so moving forward and, and just to close our discussion on solutions. And, uh, and we talked about physical engagement where we go out and we do our programs for the general public, for our community. But I know you probably had a lot of deep thought on solutions, uh, just as a takeaway for the, the listeners and the community for solutions uh, long-term that, uh, that we ourselves have to be united, but please offer in your mind, the solutions for our, our youth and our elders uh, moving forward to, to really create a strong ummah and a strong uh, relationship in the greater Canadian community for, for our Muslim community. Mm -hmm. I, I strongly, strongly believe um, in connecting. That's how I built so many of my connections is I've just messaged someone to be like, I really like the work that you're doing. I'd like to help out. How can I help? Or is there any room for me to get involved in this or that? Um, or can we meet for coffee and, and um, just talk about what we do? Because I'm really interested to learn what you do. Um, being So I, I think reaching out and connecting, we often have more in common than we don't again. So it, it's important to work on what we do have in common and build those relationships and build allies. Um, I think for, for Muslim women, one key thing has been building allies, um, especially with the Muslim um, brothers in our community. Um, my sponsor who sponsor from uh, sponsor our galas and they really just don't uh, show up, uh, like just get write a check and aren't involved at all. Uh, they, they attend our galas and uh, they, you know, they write the check for us and, and they attend. And like, I want to say, definitely we have more Muslim women we also do have these brothers who are allies and it's every year we we gain a few more and a few more and working together has opened up room for dialogue and conversations to be like how can we create the community we want for our children because we all have children that we want uh, to leave a better world for and so how do we create the world that we want for us and our children and it's often you have to do something about it we can we can only do so much alone but together we're so united so find people who have something in common with you and have a common goal and, and barter and trade and help each other out there's always things um we can do and and know that one of the biggest ways to change the world is to just be a role model without actually saying anything just living your truth role modeling is so important it was so important for me when i saw all these women um from all the different places i worked i saw a lot of women in leadership and that's what made it real for me. And then now I see my daughter, um, and most of my best friends, like one of my best friends is a doctor. The other one um, is a professor. The other one is a CEO of, of a huge company. She doesn't know anything else but Muslim women living big. It's a completely different reality for her. She just thinks 
it's normal. Like I didn't grow up with all my aunts being prof executive level professionals. For her, all of her colors and like my, not even my non-Muslim investors, all of us are professional working women. And she just thinks this is normal. Like, yeah, you can have it all because this is the environment that she's growing up in. So I think if you want to change that reality, you have to uh, make sure that the circle of people that you connect with and you um, re really do empower you to be your biggest self. And one question I often leave with people is, if you're afraid of telling someone your biggest dreams, then you have to rethink why that person is in your life. Because when I share my biggest, wildest, aud most audacious aspirations with my best friends, uh, they never tell me I'm crazy. They're like, yeah, you could do that. <laughs> and and it has it makes all the difference when you empower yourself with those types of people in your in your bubble or in your circles. That, that was very powerful, like absolutely. And, and that was a great distinction is, uh, is your, your dreams and your, your goals and aspirations and, and just, just the, with your initial vision of, of Voices of Muslim Women and it's becoming much bigger and now you're thinking on a much bigger scale and, and who can you share that with that can reinforce it confidently without criticism or disparaging uh, your ideas and, 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 and your abilities uh, because they, their paradigm is, is, is not the same and to have others that reinforce that positivity and that belief and thinking big and acting big and I agree with you and I think on that note that's a great takeaway. I really want to thank you so much sister for, for taking your time out uh, for this interview. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to my daughter listening to it uh, because uh, I, again as a father I, I want to provide uh, avenues and stories for her to listen to that she can live big and lead and 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 thank you again for all the great work you do and we really appreciate your great work and looking forward to our future discussions and future work together. If you have any questions related to the Refugee Portal podcast, are interested in sponsorships, interviews, or ideas, please feel free to get in touch with us at refugeeportal.org or email us at info at refugeeportal.org.